Uh, if you guys would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, while I turn in mine, John chapter 17 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, so join me there in the text, however you have that. Maybe you have a print copy, maybe you brought your iPhone or your iPad or whatever it might be. John chapter 17 is where we're at this morning. And I just want to say it is, it is so good to have you guys here this morning, uh, last week, first time back with people in the pews, and so it was great. I'm glad to have some more people here this week um, as well. It is very different preaching to a camera, um, and so I'm glad to have some folks here that might be hearing the word in person. John chapter 17 is where we're at, and, and, and really the question that we're asking and answering this morning is, how can we accomplish our God-given mission to make disciples? That is what we are asking and answering this morning. And by God's providence, we are here this morning, not just here in this building, but we are here in this particular text this morning. There is no way, there is absolutely no way that I could have predicted when I began this sermon series months and months and months ago, that the message would be from today's text, John chapter 17, that this would be a message that our church desperately needs to hear at this point in its life. But you know who did? God did. And in his providence, John 17, the content of this particular chapter is what we are going to look at this morning. Last week, we explored John chapter 16. And John 16 focuses on the work of the Spirit, particularly the work of the Spirit in mission. We talked about last week that it is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be successful in our mission. It is, it is what takes an impossible mission and makes it a possible mission. Not, not just because we are better salesmen than somebody else or not just, you know, because we are more committed than other people, but it is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be successful. And this week we are going to continue on with the theme of mission. And we're once again going to look at what is necessary for us to accomplish our mission as a church. And certainly what we're going to look at rings true in the life of an individual believer as we are living on mission for Christ out in our communities. But it also rings true in the life of the church as a whole. Just to give you a bit of context, in, in the very next chapter that we're going to look at, John chapter 18, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. Jesus is going to be arrested. A trial, if you can even call this a trial, is going to take place. Jesus is going to be found guilty and sentenced to death by crucifixion. The whole thing is a miscarriage of justice. And the crazy thing is, is that, that Jesus actually knew that this was going to take place. Before his betrayal and before his arrest, before his crucifixion, then Jesus turns to the Father in prayer. And he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, he prays for his future church, and that's what we're going to look at today in John 17, Jesus' prayer before his arrest. So hopefully you found your place there. I, want, I don't typically read a whole host of scripture like this, but, but I'm going to read this today. This is Jesus's prayer for us. So let's go to the text. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you, have, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to gather together as, as the church, God, to physically gather, to gather also virtually as well, Lord. We thank you for your word, God, and we ask that that this word would be applied to our lives and the life of, of our church. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the prayer that we just read is, is commonly known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Your, your Bible header may even say Jesus' high priestly prayer, as mine does. And it's known as Jesus' high priestly prayer because Jesus is, is praying on behalf of those who are his. He is interceding with the Father for those who are his. And while there are, are a number of topics that come up in Jesus' prayers, you may have noticed as we have, as we have read through this, the, the main topic that, that comes up over and over again is Jesus' mission, our mission. Not just our mission, but Jesus' mission. I know we have explored the topic of mission last week. We've explored the topic of mission in the past, and I don't think we can be reminded too much of it. And so, what is our mission well, one of the songs that I sung over and over again as a kid in children's church was I Am In The Lord's Army. And many of you maybe have sung that song uh, yourselves. And, 
It's a, it's a good song that we can sing to, to work out some energy from some rambunctious kids, right? It, it has all these different words, and, and they, they have all these different movements that go with the words. And so you may sing that with your kids at the beginning of, of the time together to kind of work out some energy in them so that then you can give them God's Word. And as I was, I was reading back through this, this song this last week, I, I discovered that, that, man, this song does not have a whole lot of of theological depth to it. I mean, it literally just repeats the same words over and over and over again while kids march in place and do all the different movements that are going with it. And I guess that's, that's what it's designed to do, to get some energy out. And, and while the song does not have a whole lot of, of theological depth to it, one, one thing we can infer from it is that, is that we as the people of God, we are to be on mission for God. And while our mission might not be to march in the infantry, while it might not be to ride in the cavalry or shoot the artillery or the enemy, we do have a mission, and that mission is to make disciples. Amen. We're getting a bit ahead of ourselves in the text chronologically, but, but Jesus comes after his, after his death, after his resurrection, before his ascension, and Jesus gives us the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so our mission then as, as, as disciples is to go out and to make disciples. We are to win the lost to Christ. We are to train those who, who come to Christ in righteousness. Jesus has commanded that we would do this. That's what we are to be about as individuals. That's what we are to be about as a church. We are to live on mission for Christ. And since this mission is so critical and primarily what we are to be about as believers, what we are to be about as a church, it makes up the majority of our church's vision statement. In case you are not familiar, our vision statement is to be a church that is in community and on mission for Jesus, making disciple-making disciples of all peoples. And we're not only to carry that mission out individually as we go out and we live on mission together in our own communities, but we are to carry that vision out as a church. This is what we are to be about. We are to, to be focused on. This is what should drive us. This is what, should seek, this is what we should seek to do. This is why we are a church. This is why we exist to make disciples. We aren't to be on mission just because Jesus commands it, even though that is a great reason for us to be on mission, right? Jesus has all authority over everyone in this world, and what Jesus commands us to do, we must do, but, but we're not just to be on mission just because Jesus commands it, but we are to be on mission because this is Jesus's mission as well. And so how is our mission tied to Jesus's mission? Well, Jesus begins his prayer to the Father in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. At the beginning of his prayer, Jesus tells us that, that his hour has come. And we have been talking about all throughout the Gospel of John what Jesus' hour means. And Jesus' hour is referring to his death. 
And this means that, that Jesus' death is, is not by accident at all. It is purposeful. And Jesus' death is according to a specific plan. A plan that we learned that took place before the foundations of the world. A plan that is given in its infancy in Genesis 3.15 where we are told that the serpent-crushing Messiah is going to come. A plan that has been consistently pointed to all throughout Scripture, a plan that Jesus himself points to all throughout his ministry, a plan that he has been working towards this entire time. And finally, Jesus' time has come to pass. Jesus' hour is here. And Jesus' hour benefits us because Jesus' hour provides us with eternal life. To all the Father has given him, Jesus says, he provides eternal life. It is not an if. But it is a certainty. And what is eternal life? Well, look at verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You, you see, eternal life is not just about us living up there somewhere, floating around in heaven. Eternal life is, is knowing and experiencing a relationship with the creator, the sustainer, the all-sovereign God of this entire universe. Not just an, an intellectual knowing relationship, but a real, true, intimate relationship that we have with the Father. One that is intimate. Going to heaven then should not be primarily about us just seeing loved ones or, or, or experiencing a great life in a recreated perfect world. Even though those things will definitely take place and those things are definitely reasons why we should point people to the hope of, of God in, in, in Christ and why we should look forward to the eternal kingdom that is to come. But, but living for all of eternity in Jesus' kingdom is primarily it is primarily about us experiencing a real intimate relationship with God. A relationship for which we were created. A relationship Jesus provides to all whom the Father has given Him. A relationship that is birthed out of God's eternal plan. A relationship that Je Jesus wins for us by leaving His heavenly abode in heaven and coming and living as a man and dying on the cross. But not just death. Jesus actually experiences the wrath of God, the very wrath of God that we deserve. Jesus drinks our cup for us. And Jesus is asking that the Father at this time would accept his life and would accept his cross work. Look at the text beginning in verse 4. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, I have accomplished the mission that you have given me. I have accomplished that. Accept this mission, Father. Glorify me, Father. Give me the gift of my bride, the church, the bride that I have laid down my life for in accordance with the plan that we have come up with before the foundations of the world, Father. Jesus' mission has everything to do with our mission. If Jesus did not accomplish his mission, we wouldn't have a mission. We would not have a relationship with the Father at all. We wouldn't have eternal life to look forward to. We wouldn't have hope and peace amidst a, a broken world. We would not have good news to share. Jesus' mission has everything to do with our mission. It is our, it is the foundation. It is the basis upon which we are to go out and make disciple-making disciples. 
No, after Jesus prays, after Jesus asks the Father to empower him to complete his mission, to accept his mission, he begins to pray for his disciples and he begins to pray for his future church that they might complete their mission as well. Jesus knows that, that the mission that, that he is sending them on is, is not an easy mission at all. We've talked about there being persecution in past messages. But we know that the Spirit is there with them. And the Spirit is convicting and the Spirit is, is working. And while the work of the Spirit is absolutely crucial in order for us to accomplish our mission to make disciples, there is something else that needs to happen as well. And so what is that? What else needs to take place in order for us to accomplish our mission? Well, Jesus reveals what that is in His prayer as we continue here. As He prays for His disciples, He begins to pray for His future church. And so Jesus begins His prayer by telling the Father why He is praying for the disciples in the church. Look at 6-10. through 10. I've manifested Your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And so Jesus tells the Father several things as he begins this prayer here. He tells the Father that he has manifested his name. Jesus has come and he has revealed his will and his, his character. Remember, Jesus in John chapter 1, he is, he is the eternal Logos who has become a man. And he has come to, to exposit or, or expose God to people. And Jesus says, I have done that. And he also says, I haven't shied away from the mission that you have given me, Father. All those whom, whom you have given me, Father, I have gone to them. I have called them to myself. I have revealed you to them, Father. And how did the disciples respond? Well, the disciples, they, they obeyed. Jesus says, they have kept your word, Father. And not only did they obey, but the disciples understood the word. The disciples, they believed it, and they received the word as truth. In other words, they believed that Jesus was and is the Messiah. That he has, he has come to accomplish the Father's mission. That it is Jesus' mission alone that provides us with eternal life. They understood, they believed, they received all of these things in the best way that they could. We learned last week, if you remember, that it is the Spirit who would then come and, and provide them with more truth and, and help them to understand the gospel plan even more so. And at this time, they have received this and they have believed this in the, in, in the best way possible. And on the basis of Jesus's and the disciples' actions and the fact that, that all who are Jesus's are the fathers and all who are the fathers are, are Jesus's as well as the fact that Jesus is leaving this world, Jesus asked that the Father would, would keep his disciples in his absence. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with you, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus makes it clear his mission is coming to an end. Jesus makes it clear that throughout his entire time on earth, Jesus has kept his disciples. He has protected them, not losing any that the Father has given him. The only one that Jesus has lost is the son of destruction, who is Judas. And the only reason that Jesus has lost him is not because he is not powerful enough, not because he is incapable of keeping him. The only reason that he has lost Judas is because it is according to plan. It is the fulfillment of Scripture that Jesus says here. And Jesus asks that the Father would, would keep us. And so how does the Father keep us? Look at the text starting in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The Father keeps us by sanctifying us in the truth. We're not only to receive and to believe God's word, but it should be what shapes us. It should change us. As we are shaped and changed by the truth of God's word, we will continue to follow Jesus, believing he is our only hope, believing that he is the God sent Savior who has come to pay the penalty for our sins and reconcile our relationship with the Father so that we might experience eternal life. It is the word. God's very word, the Bible that, that you hold in your hands or that is on your digital device, it is God's word that sanctifies us. It is God's word that we must drink deeply of. It is the word that we should allow to shape our life and to shape our ministry. It should be our ultimate authority. We sit underneath God's word, not beside God's word, not over God's Word. We sit underneath God's Word. The Word is what should dictate what we think. The Word is what should dictate what we do. The Word is what should dictate how we do ministry. God's Word is to be our sole authority. Amen. And as your pastor, I am committed to leading us to be a biblical church, to do nothing less and to do nothing more than what God's Word says for us to do. It is not about us being known by some sort of particular theological identity. It is not about us being or following some sort of particular person or persons. It is about us being known as a church who will be led and guided by God's Word and God's Word alone. The Word is what should dictate what we think. The Word is what should dictate what we do. The Word is what should dictate our ministry. As long as I am your pastor at this church, we will read God's Word, we will study God's Word, and we will allow God's Word to shape our ministry and to shape our life here at Eastridge Baptist Church. And God's Word has the power. God's Word has the ability to do just that. And this is what Paul wanted Timothy to see. And this is why he wrote to him in 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. God's Word is our sole authority. It's what sanctifies us. It is what changes us. It is what shapes us alone. And so Jesus asks that the Father would keep us. And the Father keeps us by sanctifying us with the Word. But 
In what must the Father keep us? And what does it accomplish? There are several things in which the Father, in which Jesus asked the Father to keep us. And in keeping us, we are able to accomplish our mission to make disciple-making disciples. First, Jesus asks that the Father would, would keep us in His joy so that we might accomplish our mission. Look at the text in thir- verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As disciples, we are to remain in the world on mission for Jesus. It is a part of God's plan. Could God bring people to faith in in some other way? Yes, he could. He is God. But God, in his design and his plan, has decided that we are to remain in the world and we are to preach the gospel to the world and people are to receive that and they are to believe that in faith and come to Christ. Now, of course, Satan does not want that to happen. He begins to attack. But Jesus asked the Father, he says, Father, keep them. Keep them in the truth. Keep them persevering. Keep them believing in me so that they do not walk away when persecution comes, so that they are not deceived by the evil one. And he focuses in here on our joy, the same joy that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15 when he talks about us abiding in Jesus. Jesus asked that the Father would would keep the disciples abiding in Him, that they would not seek love outside of a relationship with the Father and the Son, that they would recognize that there is nothing more valuable in this world than to be in a relationship with the Father, to be in a relationship with the Son, to have eternal life that Jesus alone gives us. Living on mission for Jesus then shouldn't be about, shouldn't be birthed out of, out of fear or, or pride. Instead, it should be birthed out of and sustained by us abiding in the love of God and the joy we experience in Him and Him alone. A joy that we should want others to experience. Second, Jesus asks that the Father would keep us unified so that we might accomplish our mission. In the second half of verse 11, Jesus says, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Then starting down in verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prays for unity amongst his disciples. He asks that the Father would would keep us unified so that we might accomplish the mission that he has given us to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples. And why is unity so necessary for mission? Well, where there is no unity, there is no time for mission. A disunified church cannot accomplish the mission that God has given us because focus and energy is taken up by fights and quarrels and strife. 
We only have so much time in the day. We can only expend so much energy. We can only give so much mentally and physically and spiritually. Fights and strife and disunity eat up all of that time. They use up all of the church's energy so that they cannot accomplish the mission that Jesus has given. And what is the result? The result is that, that members don't reach out to the lost because they're too busy fighting amongst one another. The result is that members are not cared for properly because there is not enough time to get to those people. The result is that members are not trained in righteousness because there is a lack of focus and energy. Everything is centered on what is causing disunity at the moment. The mission is hindered. Disciple-making disciples are not made. The church does not replicate itself. And the church will eventually die. Those things are taking place in God's church. Also, a disunified church can't accomplish its mission because the bride of Christ doesn't look different than the world. The church should live counterculturally. It shouldn't treat one another like, like the world does. The church should not backbite and gossip and slander and defame and stir things up and, and backstab people. The world does that. The church is not supposed to do that at all. When we do the very things that the world does, we cannot expect anyone to come to faith in Christ and to become a part of our church. In the way that we live as a church, we display the gospel in ways that complement the preached word of the gospel. When we live like the world, when we do the things that the world does, we do not display the gospel to the world. We do not act as a gospel witness. We do not accomplish our mission. We do not shine as lights in the world. Our light is snuffed out. And Satan ultimately wins. It's exactly what he wants to take place. If we want to accomplish our mission, we must seek unity in Christ. Look at verse 20 to 22 again. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. We must model the oneness of the Trinity. Jesus prays that the world will be one just as he and the Father are one, and I don't think that we would be out of step to add the Holy Spirit in there. We are to be one just as the, the Spirit and the Father and the Son are one. They have existed in a love relationship as those who are one on the same mission with the same mind for all of eternity, and it will continue that way. You see, Jesus did not come on mission. Jesus did not come to die. Jesus does not call us to himself so that we might be divided. No, Jesus wants us to experience the same oneness that he and the Father and the Spirit have experienced for all of eternity so that we might experience joy and love in that oneness, so that we might be on mission for him, so that we might show to the world a love that, that doesn't exist in the world. You see, the world's idea of love is, is self-interest. Jesus' idea of love is, is self-sacrifice. When we love one another, we don't, we don't seek our own gain. Rather, what we do is, is we seek the gain of another, and Jesus is a prime example of that. Jesus did not seek his own gain. Jesus came, and Jesus gave all for people who hated him. 
so that the Father might be glorified, so that He might win a a people for Himself, so that we might experience eternal life, so that we might experience the relationship that we were created to experience. Do we love one another in that way? Are we willing to seek the gain of another? Are we willing to put our own preferences, our own desires aside to serve one another? That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what we must do as well. And we can live in oneness because Jesus is in us. 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. We can't live in oneness with one another in our own power. We can only live in oneness with one another in the power of Jesus. And those who are true believers in Jesus, they have the power to be unified with one another because they are experiencing the love that Jesus has given them and they have the power to channel that love through themselves to others in the community. If you are a Christian here today, you have the power to live in unity with others. You have the power to love self-sacrificially. It is not your power. It is God's power. It is Jesus's power that has worked in you and that will work through you. If you are a believer and you're having difficulty living in unity with another believer, another person, then, then you need to meditate on the gospel. You need to realize what Jesus has done for you, that the love that Jesus has, has shown you, you need to reflect on the oneness that you have with the Father because of Jesus' love for you. You are one with the Father today instead of living as the Father's enemy because Jesus died for you. And that means that Jesus didn't sacrifice all so that we might live it and promote disunity. Instead, he sacrificed all so that we might be one with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, loving them as Jesus loves us, self-sacrificially. And when we press into unity, we will accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. But if we press into disunity, putting ourselves before others, the mission will suffer, the mission will fail, Satan will win. Let's not do that. Let's not let Satan win. Instead, let's press into unity by pressing into the gospel and God's word. As we gather together in our local churches and give ourselves to hearing the voice of God through his preached word, we are shaped into one body. We are united in understanding and purpose, and that unity testifies to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's let the word shape us. Let's hear it. Let's believe it. Let's receive it. Let's let the word set the tone and the direction for our life and for our ministry. Let's press into the truth of the gospel and God's word, allowing it to bring us joy and unity as we seek to live life on mission. And so what is it going to be today, church? Will we seek unity? Will we, will we seek to love as, as Jesus has loved? Will you allow the truth of God's Word to sanctify you? Will you seek to accomplish the mission of God? If disunity continues to exist in this church, and I'm specifically talking about this church right here, not some church out there, this church, if it is not addressed biblically, if we do not press into God's word, if we do not seek unity with one another, our mission will 
fail. We will cease to exist as a church. Satan will win, and that is exactly what Satan wants to happen. And so what will it be? Will we allow this unity to continue at East Ridge Baptist Church? Or will we press into unity and seek to be on mission for Jesus, accomplishing the very purpose that Jesus has placed this church in Red Oak to do, to make disciple-making disciples? If you're a believer here today, you have the power to press into unity. You have that power, and you can do just that through the Word. He's given you all that you need in His Word. And if you're not a believer here today, and now is an opportunity for you to see and realize what Jesus has done for you, that He has died so that you might experience eternal life. And now is an opportunity for you to repent of your sins and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. We're not going to have our normal time of response where we would have people come down uh, because of all the social distancing stuff that we're doing now. But we will be outside. And so if the Lord is working in your life, the Lord is working in your heart, if you want to profess faith in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, find one of us. Find a pastor or a deacon and talk to them. They would love to share more about the life-giving hope of Jesus with you. As we pray, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you give us what we need to be unified as a church. Lord, we thank you for all that you do in, in our lives. And God, we do, we pray for unity. We pray for those who don't know you this morning, that they might come to faith in you, Lord, so that they might experience true hope and true love. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.